Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today, we have one guest. Our guest is Peter Enahuro. He is also known as Peter Pan. Uh, Peter is a pre and post Nigerian independence journalist. He's an author and publisher. But as I said, he was popularly known as, or he's popularly known as Peter Pan because of his regular column. He used to write in the 60s and 70s in the New African Magazine. Uh, Peter is now, I think, in his in his 80s, but still follows Nigerian politics very keenly. And some of you might remember his older brother was Anthony Anaharo, the one of the movers for Nigeria's independence. But anyway, welcome, Peter, and thank you for being here today. Thank you. Yes. So we'll be discussing the elections in Nigeria, and I was going to ask you the first question. INEC conducted elections sometime in, I think it was February, February or February, and Bola Ahmed Tinubu was declared winner. There's been local and to an extent international outrage at the results, but I just, I just wanted to get your views, uh, Peter. How did you think the process went, the electoral process went? Well, it's Still, from a point of view of a Nigerian diaspora, it's been uh, confusing, confusing for me. I, I really don't know where Nigeria stands today. I know that Tinubu has been declared president-elect. Mm. But whether he's actually president in waiting, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's very confusing. I don't know if the cases are in court, whether they are paying at, uh, whether people are, his opponents are going to court, uh, whether they've given up and accepted the fact that he's, uh, been accepted or rejected is uh, for me even abroad it's confusing it's not it doesn't seem settled thank you Peter the, the follow-up question I was going to ask you to that is what are your views on Bolatinebu the man? Do you think he's the kind of person who should be president of Nigeria? No, I don't think he should be president of Nigeria. I think Nigeria is very unlucky to have him as president-elect. I think it's one of those tragedies of Nigeria. Bola Sinobu is president-elect. Uh, we've come a long way, and we've come a short way as well. I really thought that 
after all that happened in Nigeria, I thought Tinubu at this stage uh, will retire or be retired, apart from the fact that there's so many cases in court. Uh, I would have thought that this is the right time for him to be to be subpoenaed uh, his credentials examined. But it's it's all very terribly terribly. It seems that it's just so Latin American in this in this uh, in this uh, attitude. I think Nigerians uh, I think that Nigerians have accepted on the other hand, Nigerians are indifferent. I don't know Nigeria has a will for me right up. You think this is it? This is the, this is the time they're going to do something. And then they, they sort of give up. And they look tired. Accept it, shrug. It's, uh, well, that's the way it is. That made the country chug along, chug, chug. But otherwise, nothing happens. Well, thank you, Peter. I note the comments you've made. You said that his, his election has been very... Latin American-esque, and I'll ask Phoenix at this point. So Phoenix Peters made reference to Bolatilibu's Latin Americans style approach to capturing power. And interestingly, yesterday, the other journalist, David Hundane, seemed to post a photograph of a diplomatic passport issued by the government of Guinea, uh, which sort of implied that Bolatilibu took up Guinean citizenship as well as his Nigerian citizenship. Um, does this concern you in any way, Phoenix? Hi, Michael, and uh, hi, everyone. Hi, um, Peter. Thanks for joining us on, on this episode. And uh, hi, everyone, fellow listeners. It absolutely concerns me, <laughs> Michael. I, I mean, since I saw that this morning, I've been like, you know, they've, they, I mean, it's been one... Um, it's been one scandal. It's been one scandal or another since uh, since Tinubu threw his hat into the fray, and and more so what we've seen of late, you know, from the um, drug-linked asset forfeiture, um, which we're now seeing his uh, the response to the petition. We were seeing that he hasn't denied it, so at least that's that's put that to bed. 
But then you've seen so many other things we've talked about. I mean, over the years, state capture in Lagos. But I believe the one that takes the cake is this, uh, for me, this Guinean thing. I mean, uh, of course, there had been um, talk about his relationship with Alpha Conde um, uh, over, over time. But no one really knew the extent of that relationship or what it was based on. Um, I remember in 2015, there was talk of him helping Conde retain his seat. But then to see that he was actually issued a diplomatic passport, I mean, just blew my mind. Because, I mean, I, and, I, and I talked about it on Twitter this morning. I mean, to anyone who knows, a diplomatic passport only serves to do one thing. It's to protect uh, representatives of a sovereign nation when, when they go on that nation's business in, in a foreign territory. That's what the passport does. And I mean, <laughs> you can be citizen of a country, but for you to get a diplomatic passport, that uh, you get ICB, as they, as they say in Nigeria. So for me, it was like, why did he need that cover? What was he doing on behalf of the Guinean government and, and uh, that required that? Um, and then you see such a person, and the passport barely expired. Uh, less than three years ago. So you now see such a person vying uh, for the highest office in Nigeria. During the time that he held it, he was national leader for our ruling party, but needed a diplomatic passport for another government, for another country where, I mean, we've seen um, um, uh, news reports that Guinea is a well-known hub for drug dealing, again, drawing a line to the case that he had in the US and all of that. So, I mean, for me, this is huge. And, and it, it behoves on the Nigerian government to look into this. Because the first thing that popped in my head was, guys, are we, are we, are we getting a Manchurian candidate? I mean, for those who, who uh, follow the movies and, remember, and may have seen that movie where somebody was being propped up and being pushed all the way and almost became... The, an American president, and, and I'm looking at this guy and saying, with all these things that that seem to be popping up about him, um, and him having this kind of uh, this kind of passport, him being um, he's been out of sight of the public for I mean since the since his election, um, and he's the last we heard was that he was in Paris in France. Now, again, draw another line from France to Guinea, which is a Francophone African country. And we know how France meddles and continues to retain influence in Francophone countries. And you begin to wonder who's, what's really going on. This guy that is almost about to be sworn in as our president with immunity, with the power of office and all of that, having all of these links, it, it is something to be worried about and truly, for me, I, I believe that there needs to be a concerted effort by Nigerians to look into this and force the government to at least get, get clarification, to understand, is it true you had this passport? Because, I mean, we can still say anybody could have made it up, but let, let's find out. And if you did it, why? What does it mean uh, for the nation before you hand over the country to this guy? Yeah. There's something strange about Nigeria. Something strange that we don't understand that we can't swear to. 
on the one hand, the impression is given that these people, that's the third, that's the, 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 the big powers that they recognize Nigeria's strength in population and, and all sorts of things. And you think they help to mold this diverse country and make a huge country. On the other hand, uh, they don't want Nigeria to be a successful, huge country. That's the impression you get that uh, you, 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 you allow certain things to happen. I mean, Tinubu should not be a tradition. It should not be a, a president legs. What it is. And uh, is allowed in and out of Europe if the French don't allow him, the Germans allow him. You, you wonder what's going on. Why is a character like this? And then uh, you take the iPod man and uh, he's alleged to be blood tested. And uh, it will be a blood test. I need, I need to ask further questions on this point, Peter, because you seem to be hinting at the fact that you're, you're not happy that the international community is, is sort of supporting the candidacy of Bola Tinubu. But I want to gain further insight into the man himself. So have you had any close dealings with Tinubu? No, never. I've only met Tinubu once. And uh, <clears throat> what I saw of him, it didn't last long. And it didn't last, you know, it didn't last long either. That was years ago now. What, was that in Lagos? Was that in Abuja, Lagos, or London? That was in Lagos some years ago. I, <clears throat> I had been introduced to him. It didn't last long at all. Uh, a journalist friend of mine, Tinovo, introduced me to him. Uh, at that time, I was looking for people I thought were, would help to set up a newspaper for Africa. 
on our tour in the continent. And I was introduced to him by this young man. It lasted something like 15 minutes. And that was, that, that was all. We agreed to meet again and we never met again. Well, that's interesting because the follow-up question I have is, obviously, you, you know that Bolatinibu prides himself on being a Nadeko and freedom-fighting politician. And your brother was also one of the leaders of Nadeko. And some will say they were very close friends or allies. So how, does does it that does it how how do you sort of square that circle that he was very close friends with your brother, but you on the other hand don't think highly of him? Well, I didn't know much about the relationship because it was uh, it was abroad. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, during. Uh, Righteous time. Uh, all I remember was Abacha uh, uh, asking me about my brother, asking him, asking why he's not in Nigeria. I told him I didn't know. That well, we want somebody like him in Nigeria. A person like him should be in Nigeria. We need his experience and his service. What is he doing abroad? I go quiet. And uh, then he said, uh, Are you not in touch with him? I said, no. He said, well, somebody like that, we should, she should be in touch with him. And uh, you get on well with him, don't you? He said, yes. Then he said, uh, brother is brother, family is family. This was in his office. It well, it's not that we don't get on, we just in the same world. Now, during that time, he was having his fight with Nadeko. And uh, I didn't pay much attention to what he was saying. So I didn't follow it up. Then uh, I heard later that, that uh, later heard that actually Russia had invited me back home to Nigeria uh, to come and run the daily times on the grounds, <laughs> on the basis 
as uh, he thought or was advised ridiculously wrongly. And if I eventually came back, it would mean peace between myself and my brother because it would be peace between him and my brother, which was ridiculous. It shows you the, the level of uh, intelligence uh, in Nigeria at the time. That, that's an interesting anecdote you just you just given us. So, a bachelor, you were in a bachelor's office, and a bachelor was asking you about your brother and wondering why you weren't speaking to your brother. So, a bachelor obviously thought that if he gave made you head of Daily Times, then you would somehow bring your brother back. But the other player in this story, before I come to Phoenix, is Wale Shoinka, because Wale Shoinka was also with the Nadeko crew abroad whilst you were in Nigeria. And I, Wale Shoinka has also made some statements about these elections. He seems to be, he seems to, he seems to have a particular hatred or dislike for Peter Obi supporters. And so I just want to, I just want you to talk a bit about that. First of all, your relationship with Wale Shoinka, and secondly, what you think of his criticisms of Peter Obi's supporters. The first time I saw Peter Obi on YouTube, I was impressed. He he spoke. Lucidly, he had a program. I thought this man knew what he was talking about because this was, I really thought for once, thank God we have someone, we have somebody who wasn't talking rubbish. I wasn't wobbling. And uh, throughout the campaign, I have to say I followed him religiously. Uh, I had reservations later or some of his uh, insistence on Putting huge figures, about trillion, four trillion, five trillion. I said to a friend of mine who used to work for him, said, It's time that somebody advised. So we, that when the third world, and it's time that he stopped these trillions. They sound a lot of money, but many, but it, it, it's, a money, it's a huge sum of money. And Nigerians don't understand. Can't he get somebody, a writer or a mathematician, 
to break down these figures for him and relate them to reality. Uh, for instance, if he wants to talk about trillions of Naira, he can say in Kaduna that so many trillions and that he can do this, he can do that, he can do that. And people relate more. But otherwise, uh, people understand, you know, this trillion, trillion, for, you know, two trillion, people don't understand. No, but I... So no, a few people have criticized Peter Albee's uh, for, for that reason as well. They said he speaks a lot like an academic, that maybe he could break things down. But the other question I'm trying to tease out of you is, Wallace Shoenka seemed to attack his supporters for a different reason. Um, he, he accused them of behaving like fascists. And I just want to get your thoughts on that, on, on this Wallace Shoenka issue. Are you able to comment on that? First of all, Walishenka is a friend of Walishenka is a friend of Tinubu. They've been friends since Nadeko days. And they tend Nigerians, you know, we, we, we tend to have friends and uh, we stick to our friends and win or lose, we seek to the friend. When Tinubu was governor of Lagos State, he used to give all the state arrival, state, state arrival, and state departure uh, at the, at the, Muhammad Airport. They were close friends. Tinubu, Walishenka. Walishenka was on a high. So, those who know what was going on in the new. Olashenka would drive from the airport to Lagos House. It was all right. Now that Tinubu is not president, I mean, not now that he's not governor, but he has facilities, it's still all right. It's all right for Olashenka. You see that Wallachia finds it difficult to criticize Tinubu or to criticize those who are close to Tinubu in case he means criticizing Tinubu. So one understands that is the Nigerian way. All these uh, 
love and everything. Connection in Kaisile, Nigeria. And he is like one. He's a friend of Tinobu and he, he sticks to it, sticks to it. It is a fact of life that he lives with. Only being Walesha in power that he gets away with things. Certain things that Walesha in power gets away with uh, that he wouldn't get away with if it were with other people. No, thank you. Thank you, Peter, for for shedding light on this. I'm just going to go to Phoenix and then I'll come back to you. Uh, Phoenix, this Shoyinka issue triggered a response by Chimamanda Adichie. Uh, she went on Arise TV News and said she strongly disagreed with Shoyinka that he should not have been calling ordinary Nigerians fascists, that anybody who, the only people who behave like fascists were INEC for rigging the elections. So Phoenix, what, what do you think? Do you agree with Chimamanda? Or do you think Shoenka had a point? Well, Shoenka plays with words. It's, uh, it's just as bad as the next Nigerian. Well, Shoenka calls people names. He's somebody who takes offense. Uh, he's very sensitive to text his image like mad. And uh, he has a coterie of uh, young men. So I said, he protects his image. If somebody is attacking Wally Shenka, Shenka doesn't attack that person back. Uh, in fact, it is an honor. He gets someone to do it. So, if, if I can pick up from there, um, I, I mean, Michael, to your question, I, I, I absolutely agree with you, Amanda. I mean, <laughs> anybody who's who's who has the faintest idea of what fascism is, I mean, would not relate that to uh, people who have to ordinary Nigerians, just exactly as you said, who have no political power, who have no state power, who have, I mean who are not able to bring to bear their so-called fascism in quotes. And so it was, it was this give it, um, it was this give a dog a bad name so you can hang it. That was essentially what he was trying to do. And he knew what he was trying to do because exactly to what Peter is saying, Walisho Inka has a, has, a, has a large image, especially internationally. And so he was, in throwing that out, what he was trying to do was to sully, um, you know, the obedient movement, but more importantly, to, to put a tag on Peter Obi himself. Because remember that this, this whole issue and how this is going to play out will not only play out in Nigeria. 
you know, of course, petitions have gone to the court and we expect it to go all the way to the Supreme Court. But there is also a dance being done in the international arena. We saw Lai Mohammed go speak in the US and begin to, you know, make certain proclamations um, that uh, Ubi and Dati were, were, um, were making prisoner statements. And then you see a Wale Shinka who comes out and calls Ubi supporters, um, and particularly Dati, because of what Dati had said, uh, you know, called him, a, called him a fascist, and that that was fascist talk. So you see that trying to delegitimize, you know, the, the OB movement and the OB um, election challenge, um, not only in Nigeria, but in the international space, because I mean, in Nigeria, I mean, you call them fascists who, who, who really cares, but it's, it's untrue, it's untrue. And it is, it is unbecoming, especially for someone like him, who we know his history. Yes. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Walashenka is someone who was, who is someone who will use words when they suit him. And uh, it doesn't matter the meaning of the word, depending on uh, what he means, where he wants to place people. He gets away with things. He knows that Nigerians will accept Volition God's word for it. They won't examine it. He does that. He's, uh, I'm told, I'm told that, that he's, that he wrote a book abusing the five of us Nigerians. I say we are traitors or something of the of, of the republic. It's, it's, it's just him. He is in the end a Nigerian. And he will say things. And he, he won't he, he forgets that with being the he does things sometimes. I think, the issue, I think the, issue, the issue here was also the hypocritical nature of what he was saying. Because in, if we look back to his own antecedents, this is someone who held a, a radio station at gunpoint on, on, based, based on the fact that uh, he believed that uh, Akintola had stolen an election. And here you were going from one news station to another, trying to justify or malign other people who are doing exactly the same thing without necessarily going to hold a station at gunpoint, but at the same time, making sure that democracy doesn't die in Nigeria with election being stolen. So it, it's, okay. it, was, it was hypocritical of him. One would have expected that given what he stood for in the past, that he will come down on the right side of history, support those who are saying that these elections have been a farce, and instead, he's going out there and calling people who are fighting for the right thing, he's calling them fascists. And that, and that was what I found absolutely unacceptable. And I'm, I totally believe that Chimamanda was right. Of course, she used uh, polite terms. 
Because it gets away with it. It gets away with it. Being uh, Nigerians, uh, you know, in uh, Nigerians, somebody said once, I read uh, a piece that is the Yoruba people's greatest gift to the world. I'm sure he believes it. And uh, he gets away with it. Some other people by now, people question. Nigerians don't question Olesheva. He's a great guy. Uh, when he likes, he, he sees him. Well, he gets away with it. He makes statements. And you can see that uh, uh, he sees things. After all, if you look at his record with various uh, heads of state, he says things. Uh, he was allowed to get away with it. Well, thank you, Peter. I want to ask you a follow-up question because Obviously, you made reference to the fact that Wolishwenka says these things because he gets away with them. But in the interest of uh, fairness, I, th I think you've alluded to the fact that you and him, you and him, don't seem to get along. And you said he wrote a book describing you as a traitor to the Federation. Can you expand further on that? What, what did he say you did that made you a traitor? Yeah, I used to. Well, I used to be a friend of his, but I'm told, I'm told that is he says we are not friends. We never have been friends, which is ridiculous. Uh, I'm not exactly trilling for friends. I have no friends in the world to worry about. But uh, you know, I I didn't pay attention to. So the person who informed me asked me if I had read the book. I said no. I said, oh, you don't you didn't read the book. I said. Well, Olesenka has made a lot of money. Why would I read the book? You know, if he, if he feels so strongly, haven't called me one of five traitors or something, he should let me see the book at his expense. Is, uh, 
to me is, is, is rich enough to send me a copy. Uh, should I buy a book, more or less, buy a book for Wallace? You should buy one for me. He's rich. <laughs> well, I, I hope I know. I think Wallace Ngatu is in his late 80s, but you're 88. So. Uh, I I hope you you two at some point will be able to uh, maybe meet up and make peace if possible. But uh, our, the final question, because we have about ten more minutes to, to go, so I wanted to ask Phoenix a question before I come back to you, uh, uh, Peter. Um, Phoenix, I don't know if you saw the videos today, hot off the press, where in Adamawa State, the same INEC conducted the the supplementary elections for the governorship there, and it appears that there's some drama. So can you quickly talk us through, I don't know if you saw the videos, Felix, uh, what is happening in Adamawa? Did, did you see them? Yeah, I, I saw the videos, uh, Michael, and it's just, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's good to see it in that light. Why? Because it, it shows exactly the, the farce that, that was the 2023 election season, where you see a, I mean, we, we know that we had heard, you know, especially during the presidential elections of results being declared where no voting happened. You know, and all of these things have been swirling around and this entire INEC leadership, especially uh, Mahmoud Yakubu and the way he went about declaring uh, Tinubu as president-elect, you know, despite all of the issues that went on with the elections, up until now, over 9,000 polling units have, uh, re uh, results have not been uploaded. Some of the results that have been uploaded, mutilated uh, from EC8A sheets, you know, name it. But today <laughs> we see as a result of the supplementary elections that happened yesterday, we see, or we, or we just saw a a resident electoral commissioner come into the coalition uh, center and declare somebody winner when the results were not even ready yet. Now, bear in mind, the, the normal process is that there is a presiding officer, there is somebody who is responsible for doing the, the coalition, and it is that person who collates all of the results and declares. It is not the resident electoral commissioner who is, who is basically for that state, the INEC representative, but there is somebody who is designated to handle that role. Collation had not been con concluded. There were no results, no numbers were counted. And this guy just walks into the center, supported by police. The chief, the, the commissioner of police for the state was sitting right beside him and he declared the winner. And he declared the APC candidate as the winner. And before we knew it, even the APC candidate jumped out and, and gave an acceptance speech. Now we've seen, I've seen on Twitter, INEC put out a statement, um, you know, dis, um, disavowing the, uh, the announcement that this chap made and summoning him to Abuja, blah, blah, blah. And we wait to see what will happen. But I mean, this, this is crazy. I mean, how, do you, how, was he, how did they plan to get away with it? And this is exactly what we've seen all throughout this election season where we've seen high-handedness, we've seen outright theft, we've seen, I mean, INEC itself. And if you remember the last time we spoke, we talked about the things that I had been looking out for 
during this election cycle. And for me, INEC was the number one um, variable and it has panned out exactly that way. I, if there is anyone responsible or any organ or institution responsible for the, um, for the nonsense that we've seen of the 2023 election cycle, it is INEC. Corrupt, compromised INEC officials at the very top have turned this thing upside down, forgone their own regulations, started shifting goalposts after the voting had been done. And, and now we're seeing uh, people who are willing to, you know, because Yakub, uh, Mahmoud Yakubu could say to people for the presidential elections, I would declare whatever I want, go to court. You are seeing a resident electoral commissioner come out and declare a winner where collation, where the results had not even been counted and where he had nothing to share. It's incredible. But obviously, uh, it seems Sena heads are prevailing and we are seeing INEC, you know, you know, push back against this. Let's see where it all where it all lands. But you know, like people say in some parts of our countries from club that they start dance. You, you started the, the matter with all of the shenanigans that we had in the presidential and gubernatorial elections where things were supposed to have been corrected. We didn't do that. And that's what's now becoming a part of, of our election process. And the more people, and we saw the apathy this weekend when people refused to come out because nobody trusts anymore that their votes count. And that's a recipe for anarchy. Because if people don't, if, if you're telling people they're in a democracy and they don't believe that their votes or their voices count, then they will resort to self-help. And in a country of 200 million people, we all, we all will see where that will take us. Thank you, Phoenix. Um, I need, I'm going to take the final question to Peter, and it's going to be related to this because, um, Peter, you're like funny enough, you and Folishek are the same age. You're both you're both 88 years old. You've been active in in the Nigerian political slash journalistic stage before independence began. And the the question I have for you is. The young Nigerians now who are so deflated and basically disillusioned because of what the way the elections were conducted. Some will say you're 88, so you're in your twilight years. Do, do you have any regrets about the way the country has, has turned out? Is this, is, this what you, is this what your generation foresaw at the dawn of independence? Do you have any regrets or what, what advice would you have for the future generations, both journalists and ordinary Nigerians, as to how to salvage their country. Oh no, we didn't. Well, I, for one, anyway, didn't foresee any 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 dawn or anything, any such thing. Uh, since nineteen. 60, since 1962, there about one crisis after another. That's what one experienced, but not foresee. And I expect, expected, don't forget, we, we had a glorious 
1950, late 1950s, we had a glorious uh, period. And we thought it was going to be like that. Unfortunately, it wasn't. What we saw later is uh, anticlimax. <laughs> it's a Once the crisis started, was endless. It wasn't what we foresaw at all. It was certainly not me. But uh, I, had, uh, I had great hopes for Nigeria. Really great hopes. I thought we were on the right, glory right. Also, one crisis I started around 1962, thereabouts. And after that, in various forms, uh, tragedy. And of course, climax in 30 years of, of military rule. Sad. We thought we had a right. If, if things had continued the way they were in the late 50s, we would have been on that. On a, on a, on a great. Didn't. No, thank but you. We criticize. We, we made mistakes, but we didn't see them as mistakes. Bad experiences. Thank you, Peter, because our time is up. So sorry to have to interrupt you. But to our listeners, as I said, Peter was a veteran journalist known as he's a veteran journalist known as Peter Pan in the 60s and 70s. He is 88 years old, but still follows Nigerian politics uh, from his home in England. So thank you, Peter, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Uh, thank you, Phoenix, as well, for co-hosting. And to our listeners, hopefully same time next week, we shall see you. So I wish you all a fantastic seven days. Thank you, Peter. And uh, it was a, an absolute honor to have you again. Uh, thanks, Michael. Thanks, listeners. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Down there.